Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we'll give you some opening thoughts on the return of the Canadian legends, the kids in the hall. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. The new Downton Abbey movie is out this weekend. I'll have a review in just a moment. Plus, we'll also tell you about a big CGI problem Marvel has created for itself, and we'll tee up the latest season of the survival series Alone. But first, as mentioned, it's in theaters now, and it's time to head back to Downton Abbey. You are cordially invited to the long-awaited return of Downton Abbey. It seems wonderfully romantic. I think I'm going to cry. That's life, isn't it? Getting past the unexpected. This May, a new era. Three, two, one. Calls for a grand celebration. I have never seen anything like it. They better be warned. The British are coming. Do we drug you? Downton Abbey, A New Era. Downton Abbey, A New Era is the second movie to follow the British TV series that ran on PBS in North America for six seasons, starting back in 2011. The first movie came out in 2019 after the run of the show, and it was pretty good. And honestly, if you are planning to see this new movie, watching that last movie again is a pretty good idea. It's on Netflix. There's not a ton of carryover, but there is some. I had completely forgotten that Tom, for example, had fallen in love over the course of that last movie. And this new movie begins indeed with his and Lucy's wedding. It is a few years later. Everyone's a little older. And since The Godfather did it so well 50 years ago, why not start with a wedding and reintroduce everyone that way? Downton Abbey is set in a rural England estate. The family owns all the land in the area, and they live in this giant house, which is bigger than a mansion, but not quite as big as a castle or a palace, I guess. And the series of these movies are about the family and their servants, the upstairs and downstairs of it all. Hugh Bonneville is the patriarch, Lord Grantham. Michelle Dockery is Mary, one of his daughters. The aforementioned Tom is his widower son-in-law, who has a daughter from his first marriage, which comes into play. The servants are led by Jim Carter as Carson, the semi-retired butler, who once again gets pulled back into action. Barrow is the real butler. Mrs. Hugh runs the house, and honestly, I can't even start naming them all because it is a massive cast, and after six seasons in a movie, they all deserve mention, but it would simply take too long. Of course, the real star of the series is Maggie Smith as the Dowager, Lord Grantham's mother. In this movie, by the way, everyone calls her Old Lady Grantham, which at first I thought was you know, like an insult by whomever said it first. I can't remember, but they all did it. So maybe at some point that uh, that's just a title that senior citizens in that society took on. I don't know, but everyone calls her Old Lady Grantham. Seems mean, but that's the way it is. What I do know is she's been the fan favorite all along and is so once again here. She is the master of the snarky zinger. And all throughout the movie, she pops up every 10 minutes or so and just knocks a couple out of the park. She is so, so good. You won't be disappointed if that's what you're going to see. Downton Abbey was created by Julian Fellows off the strength of his Oscar win as a screenwriter for the movie Gosford Park, which had a similar setting and was an excellent murder mystery. Maggie Smith also in that one, delivering zingers. And since Downton went off the air, Fellows actually created the Netflix show The Crown, so this guy just absolutely wallows in British high society. The first season of Downton Abbey opened with a family 
finally getting word about the sinking of the Titanic, placing it in 2012. A new era is set at the end of the 1920s. A lot has changed over the years and a lot more is about to. There are two main plots that sort of split up the cast for a good chunk of the movie. And often that would mean a story about the family and then a separate story about the servants. But this split isn't along class lines. It seems old Lady Grantham just inherited a, a posh villa in the south of France from a guy who was in love with her 50 years ago. And she intends to leave the villa to Tom's daughter in her will. The guy who willed it to her, though, has a wife that's none too impressed with him giving property to another woman. And so Lord and Lady Grantham, daughter Edith, Tom, and a few others head to the French Riviera to see what's what. And, of course, some of the servants go with them. Meantime, back at Downton, the roof needs fixing, but there's no money in the budget right now. So the family agrees that a film company can use the home to shoot a movie, and their fee will pay to fix the roof. Mary has stayed behind to oversee that. Old Lady Grantham stays behind as well because she's too frail to travel at this point. And most of the staff are there and quite excited that movie stars will be moving in for a month. None more excited than Daisy the Cook and Mosley the Comic Relief that this series has both Maggie Smith's sharp tongue and Kevin Doyle's sad sack clumsy humor as Mosley the Servant is just a gift from God. And it turns out Mosley quite gifted in one aspect of movie making and he sort of gets to be part of the production after a while. So the movie is half part of the family in the French Riviera trying to get to the bottom of a of old family secrets and half part of the family dealing with living with a film cast and crew. Dominic West, who was McNulty in The Wire, plays the lead actor of the movie they're making. And Hugh Dancy, who was Will Graham in the show Hannibal, plays the director. And they're both kind of looking for love at Downton Abbey as well. Aside from the two main plots, there are a lot of smaller plots woven throughout. And this is where the movie really shines, I thought. Pretty much everyone gets a bit of something to do. Like I said, it is a huge cast, and they juggle it all pretty well, I thought. There are some lingering storylines from the previous seasons and movie that get resolved. It's a real crowd pleaser like that if you're ever wondering oh i wonder what ever happened with this or that that uh, seemed like had taken up quite a bit of screen time over the years there's a good chance they resolve it in this movie and i thought it all fits together pretty seamlessly the real difference between the movie and the show is that the show often had bad guys of some sort either someone in the house or a visitor to the house that was really up to something dastardly and this movie just doesn't have that there are conflicts that need resolution of course but not in terms of someone being particularly mean i think the worst thing anyone does deliberately is smash of A's on the ground. But just because there's no bad guy and Mosley and Old Lady Grantham are providing laughs doesn't mean there isn't any drama. There is quite a bit, and you will probably cry, but I don't want to spoil any of it. Overall, it's just an incredibly satisfying movie for fans of the series and will make a great finale to all things Downton if this is the last we get from them. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for Downton Abbey, A New Era. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. What? What did didn't you understand? You're the captain now. You steer ahead. That's a good decision. Times change and we must change with them. We're off to the Riviera. <laughs> Downton Abbey, a new era. Up next, we're going to tell you what we think of the kids in the hall. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. In a couple of moments, we're going to tell you what we think of the early episodes of the new Kids in the Hall on Amazon Prime. But first, something else on Prime, Jeff, that you teed up a couple of weeks ago. I'm excited to hear what you thought of. Well, yeah, I have finally finished watching the show Outer Range this week, but you know what? It was not great. Uh-oh. People have told me that grace is a given thing. But if you seek it, you'll find it. Yeehaw. 
the world's not what you think it is. Strange times. What can you do? Outer Range is a series on Prime Video. It's a sci-fi western kind of a thing about a ranching family in Wyoming led by Josh Brolin and Lily Taylor. They have two grown sons who live with them, a granddaughter as well, and they have some evil neighbors. There's also a weirdo who's been camping out on their property. And, of course, there's a giant mystical hole in the ground that appears to be a time portal. The series started off well enough. They, you know, the setup with the hole, for example, was very intriguing. And the family stuff, the drama there, the horrible thing that happens that they have to try to keep secret from everyone else. Those were interesting storylines with some interesting characters, and the show looked great. But by the end, I did think it was kind of dumb, and it just really went off the rails. I sort of warned against that initially as well. I said the trouble with sci-fi shows is that things can get can very quickly get very silly, and that's exactly what happened. And for no particular reason other than what appeared to be, you know, like a desperate attempt at trying to keep things interesting, a stalling tactic, because they didn't want to give away too much of the main mystery. We saw this over and over again with all the Lost clone shows 15 years ago. Even Lost had its struggles with stalling, but thankfully mostly aired on the side of pointless side quests, although occasionally delivered a cringy storyline like Jack's tattoos or Who Kidnaps Son, stuff like that. In Outer Range, however, we get a guy who sings 80s power ballads for no reason other than, quote, he's a weirdo, and we're forced to listen to minutes of it at a time, almost whole songs. We also get his father, played by Will Patton, hooting and hollering nonsense for no good reason. It was off-putting, to say the least. And then we got some of the most disgusting open-mouth kissing I've ever seen on screen. Again, it was weird for the sake of being weird. I guess maybe hoping that it would come off like Twin Peaks, but I don't think anyone was buying it to that degree. In the last two episodes, Lily Taylor's character started to unravel, and she is just chewing the scenery like I've never seen an actor do before. I was, like, wide-eyed in disbelief at what I was watching, and I'm not even blaming her. She was, you know, trying to do something with nothing, and she just really went for it. The whole thing just sort of smacked of desperation in the end. The show hoping to hook us for a second season, but unlike a good show, it didn't really resolve anything from this first season. Most shows will, you know, take care of the business set up in season one, and hooked to season two somehow, but this was just adding more questions without giving any answers. Except I will say there was one twist in the last episode, which I admit was intriguing, but not enough for me to come back for another season. So I think I'm done with Outer Range. But I will say the best thing to come for me watching it was that it reminded me of how good Josh Brolin is as a cowboy. So I did rewatch one of my favorite movies ever. Can't stop what's coming. Critics are calling it spellbinding, mind-blowing, one hell of a film. Call it Frendo. No Country for Old Man. Rated R. The Coen Brothers classic from 2007 uh, was a, a much-needed palate cleanser after watching Outer Range. And it was a deserving Best Picture winner at the Oscars that year. It was a very competitive year with things like There Will Be Blood and Michael Clayton in the running. And honestly, I think it is the best movie of the millennium so far. Uh, but still just the Coen's second best movie because Fargo's the best. Anyways, a lot of similarities between those two movies. For example... Uh, the case that Steve Buscemi buries in the snow is actually the same one that Josh Brolin takes from the dead man under the tree. They use the same 
money case in each movie. Anyways, No Country still cooks. If you've never seen it, it's very simple. Brolin finds this bag of money after stumbling upon a drug deal gone bad where everyone shot each other. Just bodies laying there in a bag with $2 million inside it. So he takes it. And then, of course, other interested parties come after him to get it, led by Javier Bardem, who won an Oscar for playing one of the most truly unsettling killers in film history. And it's mostly a cat and mouse movie between Brolin and Bardem with the sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones, trying to catch up and becoming increasingly disturbed by all the violence he witnesses. The tension ratcheted up almost unbearably high in several scenes, still very effective all these years later. All these viewings later, I was still hooked by it. The ending, of course, was not exactly beloved by everyone. It's a pretty much a, a lose-lose ending. The cloud of evil covers the efforts of the heroes, and the title bears out it really is no country for old men. A great film, a perfect mix of entertainment and artful filmmaking. Streaming now on Crave, a must-see if you've never seen it. A terrific rewatch if it's been a while since you have seen it. And if you're thinking about watching Outer Range, I would just say rewatch No Country for Old Men, Brett. If you're going to watch something on Amazon Prime, maybe you want to watch this instead. What's the big idea for hit characters? Back off, pigs, or the tower gets cracked. Ow! You will be eradicated. <laughs> Hilarious. The Kids in the Hall. We told you about this last week. It made its return, its debut 27 years after they went off the air the first time with their primary series. They're back with an eight-episode run here on Prime. And it. I'm just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes right now. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. What did you think about it, Jeff? Uh, I've only watched two of them so far, but it's been really funny. And the only reason I've watched just two is because I'm trying to space them out because I, I thought if I binge this my eyes will just glaze over after a couple of episodes and you know I'll be taking it in but not really enjoying it so I thought why why not uh, space put some space between the episodes and really savor it because like you said it's only eight episodes or whatever it is and it'll be I'm sure at least a year before we get more if we get more so I want to take my time with it but I've really enjoyed it so far the couple of the oh well for one note I've put in notice there's more full frontal nudity than I was expecting these guys are fearless I wouldn't do that you could there's not enough money in the world for me to do that but these uh I don't know 60 year old guys are just out there doing it I think I've seen three of them naked so far through two episodes uh, the 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 thing about the tart or the pie that was hilarious these naked robbers was hilarious the imaginary girlfriend was hilarious they've got a lot of classic stuff already uh, coming out of the chamber just a couple of episodes into it. Brett, what about you? What do you think? So, well, first of all, the tart and the pie thing, I, I sometimes <laughs> I, I'm like, I think I get what's happening here, but did they want to just burn the place down? The, the servers and the, the management, they're like, we got to burn this restaurant down. She keeps calling it a pie. Was it just because they couldn't have it? Like she refuses to call it the, the tarte de, de bleu or whatever it was called? Yeah, they're just like, nope, that's no good. We, that's it. Uh, we cannot abide that, so everything must go. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Dave Foley was, plays one of the waiters, and he's just like, he volunteers to like, like to die with the restaurant. And then <laughs> Scott Thompson says, no, you can't die. You're the baby. You're only 59. That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I really, really enjoyed it, and you're right. The full, They come out guns blazing quite literally, I guess, was in this case, with the full <laughs> frontal nudity within the first five minutes of the show. And it was as though that was a mission statement or a manifesto, as though to say, look, we uh, we don't have any constraints here. We don't... Not to say that 
network television provides you with shackles and handcuffs. And they got away with quite a bit of stuff back when they were on the CBC. But in this case, they don't have to worry about language. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So I very much enjoyed the first two episodes. Like you, I needed to sort of take a break. I think it's something that I can accept in small doses because it's so... I forgot how off the wall these guys are. Like, you remember their... Everybody remembers their their, their favorite kids in the, head, the kids in the hall sketches. I mean, you've got the I'm crushing your head guy, and I always like to think of my pen, my pen, and yeah, those were all off the wall. But some of them are just so so out there, and you can't well, I, help but yeah. wonder like, where do they come up with this stuff? It's like, well, it's a difference. It's sort of like Jeopardy, where like you watch that when you're a kid and you just don't get a lot of it. And that's what I thought about kids in the hall. Is like I'm enjoying. Some of this stuff is making me really laugh. A lot of it I just don't get. And now as a grown-up, I really thought, oh, now I'll get it all. But then, yeah, you're right. Even some of these are just like, okay, I'm not even entirely sure I get what's going on here. So, <laughs> we may, Are we too dumb to be watching Kids in the Hall overall? I don't know. I was reluctant to uh, bring up that question because I thought maybe I'm going to expose myself a little bit here. But, yeah, Kids in the Hall, the first couple of episodes were terrific, and it makes me want to go back and and watch the other ones, especially after what you just said, because you're right. I probably laughed at a lot of the more juvenile stuff when I was younger, when I was a teenager, and now I might go back and enjoy it for entirely different reasons. But either way, I'm enjoying this eight-episode run on Kids, or on Amazon Prime, Kids in the Hall, eight new episodes featuring the Canadian legends. Coming up in a moment... I'm going to tell you about a wicked show making its return to the History Channel. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Right now, we want to tell you about a show making its return to the History Channel. I must confess, first, I've never watched this show, but I did have the chance this week to speak to one of the contestants. So I'm definitely going to be watching it after learning more about him and the show. On May 26th on History, Season 9 debuts for... Alone. I want to be out here as long as I can. The top predator are polar bears. Polar bears spend their time stalking prey, which is not what most bears do. Oh. How many days can this go on? I heard a big animal. Sometimes you eat the bear, sometimes the bear eats you. Alone, new season, Thursday, May 26th at 9, only on the History Channel. Described as the ultimate survival competition show where individuals with strong survival skills are dropped into separate parts of a remote wilderness location. It's filled with wild predators, merciless forces of nature, extreme isolation, and unique to this season, the unforgiving landscape of Labrador's Big River. This season, participants have to survive amongst polar bear, lynx, wolves, and an increasing number of aggressive black bear. Surrounded by mountains and pummeled by North Atlantic winds, the survivalists on this season will face the harshest conditions of any location to date. So we spoke to a guy known as the Survival Doctor. Dr. Timogen Tan is from Montreal, now based at the Bruce Peninsula in Ontario. He's a doctor by trade, he's a former army soldier, and he teaches people how to survive injury and illness when you're, well alone. His website is survivaldoctors.com. His Instagram is fun, but kind of gross. Survival.doctors is where you'll find him on Instagram. And he told us what the show is about. There's 10 contestants with extraordinary skills in survival and just 
playing human grit. And uh, they get to choose 10 items. And uh, with those 10 items, they have to survive in the, the most rigorous situations and environments for as long as they can for that prize money of half a million dollars. Apparently the record is 100 days, by the way. He also talked about the items that you are allowed to bring. Absolutely, and that's a big point of debate because, yes, there may be five things that are absolutely essential, but when you get to the other five items that uh, really help you along, even even the contestants every single year, they go back and forth with their last two items all the time. Uh, so some of the things that um, are options are cutting materials, so saws, axe, knives, multi-tools. Um, and uh, shelter materials. So you can bring a tarp, not a tent, so just a plain old tarp, um, and um, some rope. There are different options for rope, a pot to boil water. You can bring a bottle if you'd like, but that does count as your one item. Uh, different fire-starting implements, um, and then multiple different hunting implements. I think uh, there was one person who brought a slingshot at one point, um, many people bring bows. I myself brought uh, my recurve bow, um, trapping material, fishing material, and uh, also a sleeping bag, which is pretty darn essential. So you referred to, to uh, five items of this and five items of that. They're allowed to bring 10 items, and he says that uh, they pretty much almost everybody takes the same five, and then the other five is where the debate begins as to what is more important. They do also get food rations, but not much. Basically anything else they want to eat, they've got to find in the wild. And the contestants are their own camera persons. So on top of everything they might be lugging around, they also have two cameras they need to carry around and set up, which sounds like a huge pain, particularly in these demanding conditions. Sounds good, though. Again, Season 9 of Alone debuts May 26th on History, and you can catch up on previous seasons on Prime. So I think I might have to look at that. How long do you think you could last, Jeff? Uh, l- later that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's me too. There's no way. I think Jeff I... Braun returned. You know, both cameras lost. The polar bears got him. He threw him at him while they were being chased. And that was it. Yeah, if I made it through one night, I would be surprised. I think I'd be curious to try that just to see if I could survive a night. But never mind, a hundred days get out of here. Amazon Prime also released the trailer for its upcoming third season of the critically acclaimed hit The Boys, which, yes, is a superhero show. But it's one that turns the genre on its head by making all superheroes a bunch of corporate goons. And the biggest goon of them all is Homelander. So, let me say it again, Cam. I may be a superhero, but I'm also just a man who fell in love with the wrong woman. Just a man who fell for the wrong woman. Uh, fell for the wrong woman. But, but out of out crisis of, comes uh, change. Crisis. Out of crisis so, right, comes last change. Year, and I am very excited for everyone to meet the real me. Homelander is played by Anthony Starr, and he, like many characters in this story, they basically have the same powers as a whole bunch of mainstream superheroes. Like, Homelander is like Superman. He can fly, he wears a cape, he shoots lasers out of his eyes, he's super strong, he's the top dog, and he is a homicidal maniac. That's why the boys exist. A group of guys who are, call themselves the boys, they're trying to take down the soups and the corporation that is behind them. Carl Urban leads that group as Billy Butcher. The gloves are off. thought we could fight about the right way, but we can't. It's all rigged. We have to do it your way. We're all we've got. It's up to us. I think I have something. 
Maybe we can use it to blow Homelander's brains out. What's this? Makes you a soup for 24 hours. You're gonna need it. That was Billy Butcher at the end providing two words to that clip. What's this? So that's interesting. They, in this season, they get their hands on some compound V. That's the chemical that turns people into super people, but they get just enough to make them powerful for 24 hours. And it looks like Billy Butcher gets some of the same powers as Homelander, possibly the same powers. So that could put him in a spot to finally maybe take down his rival. Also exciting about this season... Jensen Ackles, who played Dean Winchester in Supernatural. He plays Soldier Boy, a long-lost hero, kind of like uh, Captain America, except he, too, is apparently a psycho, more of a psycho than Homelander. They're actually changing his character a bit for the television show. In the comic books, I guess he was kind of a meek, bumbling fool, but in the show, he appears to be quite formidable. And he appears to be able to shoot fire out of his chest, Although that could just be some trickery in the trailer. Either way, it's a super violent show. And it looks like they've ramped up the gore even more in this season. It's incredibly profane. I had to edit a lot of stuff out of those clips. It is just decidedly not superhero stuff for kids. The first season was terrific. The second season was pretty good. I'm excited for season three. It debuts June 1st on Prime. is that no one should have that kind of power. For once, I leveled off playing field. I show people the real me. <laughs> I mean, they love me. See, there was an edit right there. I just decided rather than bleep everything out, I would just cut it because uh, they swear a lot in that show. And there, I remember one of the trailers, Jeff, there was almost nothing I could pull from the trailer. <laughs> Because it would just be, it would be, it's yeah. like listening to some rap songs on the radio where the lyrics are all gone because it's all just swears and, and profane, yeah, obscene I, language. That used to, I'd buy like a, like, I don't know, a Beastie Boys album or a Guns N' Roses album and listen to a song. It's like, well, that's not going to be one of the singles. There's just no way they can play that on the radio anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's the one that you don't want your mom to hear. In a moment, yep. we are going to revisit a, a movie that it sounds like Jeff has a pretty solid connection to as it pertains to his childhood. But It's a movie that I've never heard of, and we're also going to tell you about the CGI problem that Marvel needs to fix and fix post-haste. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. The first trailer has arrived for another Marvel TV show, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and the reaction has largely been... Well, quite frankly, horrible. And we'll get to that in a moment, but first. Being a superhero is a trial by fire. Who's going to protect the world if not people like you? So that's Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, once again, a.k.a. The Hulk. And he gives his cousin Jennifer, played by Tatiana Maslany, a blood transfusion, which means she's now the She-Hulk. I'm Jennifer Walters. I'm a lawyer. I have great friends. Can we get some shots, please? It's an emergency. A demanding job. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you to be the face of it. And a frustrating family. Because we didn't ask for this, but you still got to deal with it. Your transformations are triggered by anger and fear. Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. 
So the show is being described as an Ally McBeal le- kind of legal comedy focusing on a hardworking and romantically frustrated lawyer. So as a show, that sounds okay. I just want to be a normal, anonymous lawyer. Can you tell us where She-Hulk is? Jen, you're a story now. Girl, your ass looks crazy right now. You could be an Avenger. Oh, I'm not a superhero. That is for billionaires and narcissists and adult orphans for some reason. Should also point out, by the way, before I forget, Tatiana Maslany from Saskatchewan, an Emmy winner for her fantastic work on the science fiction show Orphan Black. Now, the problem with this trailer, the CGI is terrible. Just terrible. I think everyone assumes they're going to continue working on it until it's released August 17th, and hopefully they do, because it is so glaringly bad in spots in the trailer. And I'm guessing part of the reason for that is with the Hulk, he's just so comically large that you can suspend your disbelief somewhat because he's so not real. He's like nothing you're ever going to see in the real world, so you don't really care. But She-Hulk, while she is bigger than Jennifer Walters in her normal form. She's nowhere near as big as the Hulk. She just looks like a really big and strong woman who happens to have green skin. So the CGI of the whole thing just ruined it, like, instantly for me. And one person described her as looking like one of the human characters in the Polar Express, that movie a few years back with uh, Tom Hanks. And now there are widespread rumors that behind the scenes, the show's a mess. So it's 10 episodes, roughly a half hour each, and at 10 to $15 million an episode for the budget, they'd better get the CGI right because that's a budget for a feature film. So we'll find out on August 17th. Is there anything more depressing than dating in your 30s? Yeah, this is the best date I've had in a while. Oh. Should we split some fries? Let's get those to go. And the trailer closes with her carrying him, presumably, to the bedroom. So, Jeff Braun, what did you think? Uh, like you, I think I really like the look of the series overall. Not the look of the series, but the notion of this series overall. It seems like a fun story, something a little different that we have not quite seen before in the Marvel Cinematic or Television Universe. But yeah, that CGI is bad. Uh, I wonder if maybe there's a... Maybe it's a conspiracy by Disney. Maybe the finished product is maybe 90% of what they would want. And instead of just coming out with the 90% and having us complain about that, they say, well, why don't we dial the trailer back to like 60%, have them complain about that, and then <laughs> when the show comes out at 90%, it suddenly looks a lot better, even if it's not perfect. Maybe there's something, a trick like that uh, in the works. I like kind of like that theory. That's, I don't know. That's, that's probably not it, though. Well, it could be. They, who knows? They've got enough money, though, and time still that they, you're right, they should be able to fix this, and uh, it'll be disappointing if they don't. Well, and they're going to have to, I think, make sure that it gets fixed because I know that uh, even though I enjoyed Moon Knight, I know the viewership for that was like 50% of what it was for Hawkeye. A lot of people didn't care for it. And even though I liked Moon Knight, there was barely any Moon Knight in that show. You've got one of the coolest looking characters in the history of the Marvel Universe and he's barely in the show in costume so that was frustrating and Ms. Marvel is the next show and then She-Hulk and it's just it's starting to feel 
even more so like a factory that they're just pumping stuff out. And even with that kind of a budget, 10 to 15 million an episode, if you can't stick the landing and give us uh, the, the kind of product that we're used to from Marvel, they might end up, blow, this whole TV thing could blow up in their face. Yeah, here's hoping it doesn't come to that. I, I, you just can't believe that they would let it come to that. But they've got too many good years behind them to screw it up. You know. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. And apparently they uh, they wowed investors with their latest slate of stuff that they're getting ready to unveil. But uh, in the meantime, let's go from what is coming in August to something that came out in what was it, 1985. 1985. It's one of my uh, favorite movies of all time, or at least from that time. And it's a movie called Better Off Dead. Johnny. Four weeks. 20 papers. That's $2 plus tip. Gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. $2. That's John Cusack versus the Paperboy, this little punk kid who dresses like a greaser and uh, just uh, terrorizes him throughout the movie trying to get the $2 that he's owed for the week's worth of papers or whatever it is. I've been, this movie is never streaming anywhere. It's, there's not a good version on Blu-ray really, except I think you could get maybe it on just regular DVD for 12 bucks. And I did get it on regular DVD, but I got it for $1 because I was in Walmart this week, Brett, and I saw a collection. It's called Iconic Films of the Films of the 80s and 90s, a 20 film collection, and it only costs $20. And there's movies like uh, Airplane and Beverly Hills Cop and Flashdance, Footloose, Ferris Bueller, Ghost and Decent Proposal, Wayne's World, The Naked Gun, and uh, Better Off Dead was on there. So I was like, ooh, I'm getting this. That's easily worth $20, all those movies. And this one was one of my favorites. My buddy uh, Derek and I must have rented it five times a year when we were kids. <laughs> And it's just it's just this high school comedy with John Cusack. He loses his girlfriend to some jock skier at the beginning. He gets very depressed, hence the title. But then he decides to race the guy down a giant mountain to win her back. There's a ski race at the end. He also has a very weird family, some very weird neighbors. The whole town is just filled with all these bonkers people. It's a crazy comedy. It's, you know, honestly, probably not a very good movie, but uh, it, it is a cult classic to some degree, and I love it. I've been wanting to rewatch it for years, and now I finally have it so I can watch it whenever I want. Are you going to get together with your buddies and watch it again? I might. I Next time uh, the buddies have, like, a cabin weekend, maybe I'll just bring it along. Okay, and you'll blow their minds when you pull that out of your bag and say, look what I brought, boys. And then they'll say, what are we supposed to play that in? And then you'll say, come on, man. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.